Welcome to the Wisdom of Madness with Rasuli and Jesh Darox. Two friends from different worlds discuss the beauty and mystery of creativity. You say the word desire a lot, and desire is obviously a really big part of the human experience. I think of desires as the driving forces underneath why we do what we do, but all things that we do are not equal. Some things that we do cause unnecessary harm, some things do absolutely nothing. Some things keep us locked and trapped exactly where we are in endless you know, circles. And other things break through. And they break through not just for us, they break through for other people that don't even know us. So clearly not all actions are the same, which makes me think strongly that not all desires are the same. And part of the challenge of desires, I feel like, is there subtle, unknown, you know, unconscious kind of aspect. And so for right now, for instance, in me, like, I feel some strong desires. And some of them, I feel like I recognize with a certain familiarity are ones that have led me to make choices that are in the first long category of non-helpful things rather than the last one of breakthrough kind of choices. I would love to know from you, you know, from your wealth of experience, how do you differentiate between the value of desires and are there desires sometimes that come up that you've just learned to recognize, no, that desire will lead me to actions that are non-helpful because you specifically are a, a wild, free character, you know, and that's usually associated with this idea of whatever the desire is, go towards it. And you also talk a lot about that desire being the important attraction that is responsible for art itself. And yet, as I said, it, it seems clear to me that not all desires are equal. I would begin with sort of differentiating between desire and passion. These two words that are used sort of interchangeable way in many cases, it's not really clear to most people the difference between the two, which is tremendous because they're two sides of the coin. Desire goes along with a deep longing where passion goes along with a surface wanting. You could forget about passion quickly if you're not receiving it. I'm passionate about having something now, but then I'm not receiving it, so I can shift easily to something else. But desire is something that is permanently with you. I would say that desire is more of a mystical term, where passion is more of a physical term. Passion deals with mainly, to me, with the physical being while desire deals okay. with the inner emotion. Okay, so partly we're swimming through some 
contextual, semantical definitions here, which is important because I think these words need to be understood on a deeper level. So what I'm hearing from you is there's kind of these two sides to the spectrum of wanting something. And you're calling the first part of wanting something passion, which usually has to do with temporary and base animal desires that are fleeting. What you're calling desire has to do for you with representing a, a kind of mystical, eternal, or at least long-lasting, a motivating force that is ever-present, perhaps even built into life itself. The desire to be alive seems to be ingrained deeply into all living things, which is something that science can't explain. That desire to be alive. To me, that piece specifically is part of the reason that I know in my own heart and spirit that there's something extraordinary and beautiful beyond random chance to life because I feel the desire to live. Every time I see a little plant break through concrete in the middle of a road, it's always inspiring to me. Some tiny little soft, thin thing can crack through thousands of years of technology. Nature wins, and it's like that push-through is really interesting. For instance, this morning, feeling this, what I would now call passion, based on what you're saying, this strong animal urge to reach out and do something. My mind tells me from past experience, if I do it, it's probably going to just be a thing that you do, and you've already done it before, and not really going to lead you anywhere specifically new. And yet, I really want to do it. Last night, I come home really late after a concert. I was tired. I hadn't gotten to eat. And I start eating cereal. And the cereal's great, but I ran out of milk. So I can't eat the cereal. It's nearly sacrilegious to eat cereal without milk, as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) (laughs) So I look at what else there can be that's a similar thing, because... I like crunchy and I like cold and wet and all that together makes cereal nearly the perfect snack. I look in there and there's some ice cream. Part of me is like, you don't need ice cream right now. It's three o'clock in the morning. You need to sleep. The last thing you need is a bunch of sugar and then go directly to bed. And plus ice cream doesn't really do anything for you, you know, so I rarely eat things like that. It is ridiculous when you think about that we put things into our body that have absolutely no benefit let alone actually destroy it. It's one of the stupider things that we do. I love the taste of ice cream, and it is one of the things that I will do sometimes just because of that. But at that particular moment, at 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm about to go to bed. It's not like I'm really going to deeply enjoy this anyways. I was wrestling in my mind because I was like, do you really want to do this right now? And my mind is like, yes. (laughs) So I did. And I was like, I'll just have one bowl. But I had these fresh organic almonds from Erewhon, which were probably $20 each. <laughs> and I put it in there, and this mix of like salt and straw is literally nearly divine as far as I'm concerned. They've perfected ice cream. So there's this perfect ice cream. There's these organic nuts. There's a little bit of chocolate in there. I take a bite of this, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is amazing. I finished the bowl way too quick. And then my mind comes up again and is like, you need another bowl. And I was like, Hey, guy, I didn't even sign up for one, and I barely let you have one, and now you're saying you need two? You definitely don't need two. But I had two. I finished off the entire thing that there was. So 
My question is kind of related to that. Is there something powerful about denying passion? Is there something that we need to learn about disciplining ourselves where this thing comes up and is like, I want this thing. And there's other passions I could talk about that I have to wrestle with on a more consistent basis. For some people, it is food. That ice cream is always there at their door knocking. That's not my particular issue, but I have other issues like that. I think in the past, in the earlier part of my life, I was just more interested in, well, it's the thing I want to do, so I'm going to do it. And right at this juncture of my life, I'm getting really, really, really interested in not doing that. Part of my main reasoning is I know what I've gotten by always giving into that. I know what it is. And even though it's not all bad or all wrong or I don't feel shame about it, I already know that. I'm kind of curious about exploring who would I be if I said no? What would I switch that out for instead? I feel like I'm starting to have this understanding that sometimes when these base drivers come up and tell me I want something or need something, there's something really maybe even powerful creatively about denying that impulse or redirecting it somehow. But I wanted to ask you about this. As a self-described libertine, it kind of gives the impression that you would be more like how I've already kind of been living, which is if I want to do something, I do it. And generally, they tend to be good, healthy things, but every once in a while, they're not. What do you think about all that? Well, first, I'm thinking about what you were having for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> now, you wanted to have cereal, uh-huh. but you, would, you did not have the milk. Uh-huh. So you shifted from cereal to ice cream, mm-hmm. although ice cream is not something that you usually would eat. No. And I was just thinking, if I were you, I would just let ice cream melt. And I have milk, and I mix it with my cereal, and I have my cereal. <laughs> <laughs> Rumi says, Don't look for water, become thirsty. Being thirsty is what we need to be. When we're thirsty... We search for water. We find water in everything, not just water that you want to drink. We become the inventor of creating water out of plants, out of air, out of whatever it is. It's the necessity which develops our perception. And necessity is fed through our desire. If there is no desire, there is no necessity. Desire leads into something that we yearn for, we long for. We want it so badly that no matter what, we still want it. Comparing a physical need versus spiritual need, okay? Mm-hmm. A physical need is, let's say, I just feel like I want to have sex, okay? That's a physical need that I need to get satisfied, and once I'm satisfied, I'm done with, yeah? But the spiritual level is love, that satisfaction is going to continue. You cannot be satisfied with love. As you make love, you want to make more love, and you want to continue that. But if you want to have sex, you have sex and that's finished. You're done. 
the passionate things are the ones that cause addiction. Addiction comes as we keep on filling our physical body with something. And addiction comes usually when there is a need with it. If there is no need, if I'm having a great time, totally, I'm not going to get ad addicted to no matter what I take. As long as I'm having good time with you and I drink wine, I'm not going to get addicted to it. But if I need it for satisfaction of my pain, to get rid of my pain, that develops addiction. As pain comes back, I want to have that because that took my pain away. When we're having fun and we're drinking, we could have fun doing other things as well. So there's no addiction. Instead of having wine, we can have something else. Or, but when it's the pain, we feel like it's just that drink that I need to get rid of all that is bothering me in general. So again, comes into the small satisfactions for the physical body, which deals with our passion. And no satisfaction we desire. Last time we were talking about Mick Jagger saying, you know, I, I get no satisfaction. It really, truly makes sense. It's not that giant like him, how could he not have satisfaction? Yes, he can not have satisfaction because there's this deep desire that keeps him going. If he was satisfied, he would not be singing anymore. He would not composing anymore. He would be out. But it's that long desire that builds in him. You can never get satisfied with your desire. It just expands on and on and on and on and on. But with passion, yeah, I'm satisfied. I was passionate about sweet potatoes and I ate them and now I don't want any more sweet potatoes. But when you're desirous about your love, about your beloved, about your art, you don't get satisfaction. Desire constantly continues. Even when you have your beloved with you, desire is still there. It wants to continue going on and on and on. So if you have somebody that you're in love with, and now you're not in love with, you're out of love with the person, you are not in love with That's them. Passion. It was passion. You were passionate about them. You get the satisfaction. And now you begin to see the negative things in them. And that causes that separation. Can desire be developed? Desire by itself develops. You don't have to force it to develop. The desire to reach for something continues because the moment you reach for that, you want to even expand further and further and further. The passion for sweet potato is not to take me to have more and more sweet potato. <laughs> when I'm passionate about sweet potato, I eat and I'm done with it. But I don't go back, don't go to store and buy you know, a ton of sweet potatoes. But when you're, when you're desirous about love, you want to expand. You make love and then after that you go and compose a song. 
you paint a painting, you write something to continue that feeling, to expand that feeling. But if you're passionate, you're not going to do that. You could describe what you went through, but you cannot expand your emotion into something else. I think that's a really interesting point is that all passion has an ending, all of it. And as soon as you reach that ending point, not even you wants to keep doing it. Even something you really like, like ice cream, or obviously you're a sweet potato aficionado. Once you get enough, you don't, you don't want anymore. And the very thing that was so attractive to you, the very same physical thing suddenly becomes repulsive to you. And you do see that played out in relationship all the time, which really does, by this kind of context, strongly suggest that <laughs> the vast majority of relationships are actually passion-based. They're not desire-based, not in the way you're talking about it. So as you're saying all that, I'm also kind of thinking a couple things. One is that once that we have for physical, temporal things seem to be called passion, and once that we have eternal things seem to be called desires but that same thing in us that once can potentially be pointed at either of those two destinations it seems to me that space that we have for wanting something can be temporarily taken up by wanting a physical thing instead of an eternal thing and that does seem to match a lot with what the saints say and things jesus said he said one thing that's coming to me, which was, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And exactly what bread means and what the words that proceed out of the mouth of God are, are really long, interesting things you could get into. But just for the sake of simplicity, one thing that they represent to me is the bread. It's like the daily physical existence that we have to have. We have this fire, this combustion engine that we're in that we have to keep feeding or else it stops. There is an importance to that. But then these words that proceed out of the mouth of God are really, really interesting to me. I, I love that idea. Whatever you think God is, whatever that means to you, certainly there's a connotation of eternal. Certainly there's a connotation of infinite. And whatever words mean in this moment is some kind of an expression of that infinite. To me, when I hear the words that proceed out of the mouth of God, I think of destiny, this, this calling, this invitation to this flow of life that's constantly moving everywhere. It's the words out of the mouth of God that somewhere in there that make that little plant want to break up through. It's this impulse to, to live. They do seem to be connected somehow because you can't honor that deep spiritual impulse without doing the daily physical things that the plant has to do. It has to draw in nutrients, it has to get sun, it has to get water. If it doesn't have those things, it can't. It will wither and die. And I think that brings us back to the central issue. Maybe there's an imbalance where we are just in ignorance of the eternal desire, not knowing as much about it as we need to, or not being taught how to interact with it, or that there even is one in the first place. We're just searching among all of these physical passions again and again and again, and we're there like that little seed beneath the concrete, and we're stuffing ourselves with all of these ingredients, but we're not doing anything with it. We're not creating, we're not making, we're not growing in a word. We're not growing. We all know what that feeling is like of being on your bed and eating way too many sweet potatoes or ice cream or sex or whatever the thing is. You've just done it way too much. 
and you know it, and your whole body just feels sloggy. All of that said, you in your life, do you have a way that you deal with these passions that come up? How do you know which ones to honor, and how do you know which ones to allow, and how do you know which ones to just say no? Passion is really the portal to desire because you get attracted to something physical that leads into your desire. I get attracted to a beauty of somebody. I'm passionate about them at the moment. That passion could lead into desire. Hmm. Or it could be just forgotten. Next day I see somebody else and I'm passionate about them and somebody else. But when passion leads to a desire that continues, my example of when I was 13 years old and I met that girl on the train Mm -hmm. that we talked about. See, that was a passionate thing at the moment that it happened. I was 13 years old. She was maybe 12, 13, same way. That body, that silhouette of the body against the the (laughs) sun behind it lit up my fire. If I was following that, my passion would have been satisfied. Somehow, I would have reached her or maybe I would have forgotten about her and move on to something else. But in either case, my passion would have got satisfied. But then, the moment that she left, I did not go after her. I did not want to continue going after her. Instead, there was a deep emotion that came inside me and began to expand and turned into desire that made me be desirous of that same scene for the rest of my life. My paintings are still reflecting that desire. There is this figure in front of the light and it just keeps on bouncing back and forth and I'm never satisfied with it. Hmm. I would have been satisfied if I went and made love with that girl at that time and that would have been the end of it. But this continues. so. Desire is something that we don't want to put a cap on it. Passion is something that we want to put a cap on it. Passion leads into addiction and you want to stop that. But the desire, the addiction that the desire develops is something that you want to expand. My desire to create is expansive and I don't want to stop it. And I just want to continue that because it relates to that little signal that I received at one point and that continued throughout my life. So passion, as I said, is the entrance to the desire. It sounds like you purposefully uh, denied your passion and that's what it what the catalyst was for turning it into desire. Is that correct? I, I don't know if I did it purposely, but subconsciously I did it, or maybe consciously because there was no way that I could chase that girl. 
and go find her because you know it was on we were on a train and it would have been ridiculous for me to follow that girl on the train but at that point it was subconscious move that turned the uh, passion into a desire which led the rest of my life into being a creative person but now like later in your life do you have the practice of consciously denying passions to turn them into desires do you do that on purpose or not oh yeah yeah i do that on purpose now there are times that i'm painting and i get excited mm mm-hmm. and i mean physically i get excited mm mm-hmm. I could satisfy my excitement somehow but I intentionally don't do that because I want that excitement to transfer into my passion and it does because the moment I get in that feeling I am making love with the canvas at that point I forget about the brushes or anything and I'm just painting with my fingers and my fingers move on the canvas the same way as if it was moving on this beautiful body and i feel that same emotion carrying through and i want to continue that i'm not looking for getting satisfaction what well, can you give me a practical example what's something that would have satisfied you and then you didn't do that and instead you did this other thing I would have just stopped painting and I would have gone and made love in order to satisfy my passion. Ah. And then I would lose that whole desire to paint. So are you saying for instance going back to my ice cream story that instead of this strong desire to eat this ice cream which theoretically I, I could have overcome that I should have possibly instead or could have gotten out a sketch pad or started typing and used that same impulse that's saying you're hungry you need to eat something and instead channel that towards a creative outlet i want to even take it a little bit longer as i mentioned that say you're passionate about eating your cereal mm-hmm. but there's no milk mm-hmm. so your passion is not turning into your desire because you just let go because i don't have milk forget about it i'm not passionate about ice cream but i eat the ice cream and then i become passionate about it and i want to have another ice cream yeah now instead of that whole move that you took if your desire was expanding on on your wanting to have that cereal and you would have got the ice cream and you would have melted it and turned it into milk and you would have had your cereal that would continue with you from then on you would think that you know what when i don't have something there might be other ways of reaching for it your discovery of what happened as a result of that could expand into having your desire to make these shifts these things that don't relate to each other but try to work it out and that could easily lead into a whole new approach in your life or new creativity or new business or whatever to bring in something that you were not discovering before I hear that and I think that's a incredibly profound point. There's a a subtlety that's so slippery as I'm trying to understand it and turn it into a practical insight. It's really challenging for me and I really kind of want to get to the root of it. What I hear that I really really understand and resonate with is this whole thing that you mentioned about Rumi saying 
forget about finding water, focus on being thirsty. That makes tons of sense to me. That will be the fountain of resourcefulness when that desire is maintained. And it is true that passions obviously are directly connected to addictions. To me, addiction is a repetitive pattern that you do that is not to your benefit. It is not to the ultimate honoring of the life gift that we have. It might be an expenditure of energy, but it's one that only leads you back to where you first started, like chasing your tail or something like that. That to me is what what addiction feels like. And I think our imperative, our destiny is to grow, is to grow and change beyond. And there will be rhythm in that. There will be repeating cycles in that, but it will always be of an upward nature where there is that expansion that continues. So those are clear to me. I think where I'm still trying to find the connection point is in this desire I had for food in the first place was a passion. So it's probably just an imperfect metaphor that we're using to try to talk about something really complex. But I have this hunger for food. I could have just gone to bed. I could have expressed that hunger in some other ways, creatively or something like that. I could have found another way to get that need met, as you're saying, by melting the ice cream. But from my understanding of what you're saying, even just melting the ice cream still puts me in the position of just having fed a passion. I hear you metaphorically saying this bigger leap into you can stay thirsty and find other ways to learn things. But in that very practical, specific moment, would there have been a benefit to me just saying, I hear that you're hungry, but you'll actually be okay. And in the morning, I will go and get milk somewhere or we'll feed you somehow, Josh. (laughs) Does that make sense? Yeah, you would not have satisfied your desire, though. Let me give you an example. When I started using my fingers to paint with, that's when desire came to me was the result of the passion that I had to have sex at the time. I don't know what I was painting. I just felt like I wanted to make love. I could have stopped painting and gone after making love, but instead of that, I decided that, you know what? I'm going to create beloved for myself on the canvas. So I painted a female body. I started to paint with my fingers to build that whole body. When I built that body with my fingers and paint, I realized that there was a different energy in that than I had previously when I was painting with brushes. Mm. And that energy was definitely outstanding. Not only I felt it, anybody who saw the painting felt that whole energy. Then I realized that I can use my finger to transmit my energy from within into the canvas. That's really interesting. Again, going back to this phrase that Jesus said, you know, you can't live by bread alone, but also by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I think something that's so striking to me in that is that bread comes in and words come out. So to me, there seems to be a direct correlation there between this idea of passion being something that feeds us and then the creative expression is always an expansion. It's always an out kind of a thing. That's what creativity is. And when you go back to this word desire having to do with D-star, it's a similar kind of a thing. The sun, the star, it has to get its elements from somewhere. 
it doesn't just start with nothing and suddenly start being created. It's like it has to indraw, which would be like the bread, the passion, as it has all those ingredients in the words out of the mouth of God. Normally, when we put in bread, a normal average human on a normal average day, they're not going to use that bread to speak mouth of God words. They're going to do something else with it. Right. You know? And I think to me, that seems to be where the the intersection is. It's like the passion is important in terms of getting that intake. But I see you there on the canvas and you're kind of between these two worlds. And one door leads that building desire to go and do something that might not be bad, but ultimately won't last. You'll have a lovemaking session and it will be great, but it won't stay with us. And then this other door to the right, it's like you have that desire and it's building up and you choose in that moment to do something that is, if not eternal, at least symbolic of eternal, which is to leave this painting that will outlast you and that many, many people later will will have. And that seems to be this really interesting intersection between how we can use our energy. And at any given moment, we can use our energy in honor of the physical and the temporal, and then we can also use that same energy in honor of the eternal. I have this whole thing I talk about called the generous hour, about how glasses are such a marvelous invention and how they completely transformed the lives of untold billions of people. It changed people from being basically having a handicap, a severe handicap of not being able to see, to fully functioning, fully adroit people that could, that could be contributing members of society. And the person who made glasses, even though it wasn't just one person, if we could just use that as a metaphor, there wasn't glasses and then there was glasses. There had to have been an hour in which that happened, you know, at least metaphorically. And I like to think that wherever that person was in whatever village they were, they're in there at their desk, probably in the dark or dim light, and they're hammering around with something and they're trying something and they're curious and they're playing and they're reshaping and refining. During that exact same hour when glasses were made for the very first time, someone else in that village was in an argument. Someone else was eating sweet potatoes. Someone else was having sex. It's not that any of those things were necessarily even wrong, but that one hour turns out to be a very, very generous hour because look at how many people have continued to benefit from that one hour of time versus all of the other options and all of the other ways that were spent that same energy. My whole life was set and that moment I could have easily gone and have had my sexual passion, but instead I created my beloved and I started doing that. That set me off on a whole new journey. If it was just satisfaction of my passion, probably I wouldn't have gone that route anymore. This is when I heard Mick Jagger saying, I get no satisfaction. I thought, well, here's an artist. <laughs> because if you get satisfaction, you're not an artist wow. anymore. That's a beautiful interpretation of that. You're done. You're finished. Satisfaction is something that we don't have to have. Satisfaction stops our desire. The whole process of lovemaking is the longing for it the process of doing it, and there's the end result, which is the satisfaction. Wow. If you increase your longing, you increase your love. 
you increase your satisfaction, you decrease your love. So if you want to be creative, if you want to have this feeling with you to be constantly created, you should never, never be satisfied. You should be constantly longing for something. That's why all these great mystics are talking about. It's that longing that makes us feel like a human. If there is no longing, there is no human. Yes, animals have passion. Animals have passion about eating, about sex, about whatever is there is. But animals don't have desire. Animals don't exist with emotion that carries them through connecting with other people through different yeah. means. To be a human is to live with desire. If you take the desire away, there's no reason to get out of bed in the morning. Okay, I really love it, and I love you. And I guess what I'm wondering is, clearly we can't only do desire. We also have to do passion. Oh, definitely. Otherwise you wouldn't even be here. I, I have to have a glass in order to have water in it. Yes, so there does need to be a certain amount of honoring of the passions. Two things kind of spring to mind here. One is this desire that you're talking about, the longing and the increasing of it, it could be partly why so many artists died so young and lived so recklessly. It was a denial in a certain way of these basic human passions. They are required for a, a stable, long life. And because they're playing in that zone, the deep, deep, intense longings, that might be partly why they sputtered out so soon. That's one kind of interesting thought to me. The other more practical question that I think would be really helpful, not just to me, but probably to a lot of people, is what's your advice on finding that balancing point between you're here at the canvas and you're going to go off and create this masterpiece that's going to live for thousands of years, and also, like, you need to eat. <laughs> so what would you say about what you've learned about when to honor that passionate impulse and when to say, no, this is a moment for desire? Definitely passion being related to the physical body needs to be honored first. If my cup got a crack in it, I cannot get the wine in it. It's going to pour out. Mm -hmm. So the first thing we got to do is really we have to satisfy our passionate needs in order to deal with our desire. Passionate needs are something that you cannot escape from. If I'm hungry, I got to eat. Satisfaction of your passion is the very first step. And then transforming it into a desire to expand would be the next thing that you could do. This is what an artist would do. And an ordinary person would just be passionate about things and just moves on. I'm passionate about that. I gain it. I move on. I'm passionate about it and just moves on. The artists, on the other hand, are not satisfied. They keep on wanting to expand more and more and more. Those artists who are satisfied, they're dead. Nobody knows about them. Only those artists who are not satisfied are the ones. I never forget Rembrandt's life when he was hungry and he was almost fainting. A friend came by and gave him the money and he said, go and get some meat you need 
to get some meat in your body. And he was so thankful. He got the money and he went toward the butcher shop to get the meat. But on the way, he just turned his way into the paint shop. He bought the yellow paint that he needed to finish the painting that he was doing. And he fell down on the steps of the paint shop and he died. This is what happened to one of the greatest artists of all time. He just died of starvation, malnutrition. He didn't even use the money to go and buy the meat that he needed. Instead, he just bought the paint that he needed. That's a desire, that's a desire that drives far beyond passion, need, necessity. Even in that moment, you know that there's hardly any breath left on you, but that desire is so strong. One thing I am hearing as a consistent rhythm throughout all this, a certain percentage of your energy that comes in must be spent creatively. And if it's not, it will lead to imbalances. It will lead to addiction, basically. When we're dealing with passion, these little satisfactions that comes about satisfies our passion and we move on. But when we're dealing with desire, those little satisfactions they're not satisfying our desire. In fact, they're like pruning the plants. They help them to grow more and more. This is how the whole thing would work out with elimination of passion through transferring the emotion into a desire. When you transfer that emotion into a desire, then that continues staying with you. Even if you get satisfied temporarily, you still have that emotion with you because it's a desire. But when it's passion, you're satisfied and you're done. So when addiction has to do with expanding, the addiction is not negative. When addiction has to do with taking in is negative because if, if my addiction is to give joy to other people, Let's do it more and more. If my addiction is to spread roses, let's do it more and more. But if my addiction is to take every rose that is here now because I want to have it for myself, it's a negative addiction. Having the connotation of creative expression, again, in a certain way, makes it not addiction in the way that we normally talk about it. Because when you're giving out, when you're going out, when you're expressing out, it is falling into this category of doing something new that you haven't necessarily done before. I think in the truest definition of, of the creativity. Actually, it's so beautifully said because passion leads to addiction, but desire leads to creativity. Yeah. I wake up in the middle of the night and I run into my studio and I start painting or start writing. Yes. Now, am I addicted? No. Something is pulling me into yes. it. Something takes me out of my own passion to sleep or go watch TV or whatever is physical necessity which is there and brings me to my studio to put out something for others to benefit from. 
Can I escape from it? No, I don't want to escape from it. I want to continue doing it. This is what made Mozart, Mozart. And he had so much desire that it just burned him out. Passion was pushing him. There was this tremendous passion for gambling, for drinking, for women. All of these was at the same time when there was this incredible desire to compose, to create these works. Now, these two were so fighting against each other that the poor guy couldn't even last that long. And this has happened to so many, so many. Van Gogh couldn't get out of these two as they were fighting against each other. And there's so many artists who give up at some point in their life. Suddenly you see, wow, this great artist, what happened? He's not dead, but I don't hear about him anymore. What happened to him? Tchaikovsky's got some of the most beautiful melodies you can ever imagine, and some of the most stupid, ridiculous music that anybody could create. And you say, wow, amazing. This great artist on one side and this terrible artist on the other side, they're two into each other. Mm -hmm. And then you find out there are times that he's passionate and the time that he's desirous. He's got to make this because he's got to make money. He needs that. He's got to do this little jingle for somebody or do something for this woman or whatever it is that he was doing. When there was some times when he just, wow, let it go, let it go. Rachmaninoff had that problem. After he did his first piano concerto, he couldn't do any more work and he went crazy. His psychiatrist uh, invited him for summer to his house, which was a house in the country, to spend the time with him in there and, and uh, maybe he could get back into composing. And that's where he fell in love with the daughter of his psychiatrist. And that's led to some of the greatest works ever, which was his second concerto. Clearly, this isn't an area of black and white answers, but I feel like there's been a lot of illuminating conversation here. And I think one of the, the things that's kind of standing out to me based on what you just said is that it is a war, these conflicting internal desires. And to be in that space between the two storms, between the land and the sea, the bridge between those two, as we've spoken about, right in the center of the X, right in the center of the cross, it's like... That is where it is. And I think a lot of times the mind wants to know, is it up or is it down? Is it left or is it right? And it's both, right in the center of both at that balancing point. That's where the magic is. I think if it was as easy as, oh, you just go left, we all would have been done a long time ago having figured that out. And it's a constantly renewable question and struggle. And you see all of these artists play out that struggle in different ways and, and attempt different things with it. And I think in this generation, we have this unprecedented opportunity to learn about the lives of people who have faced that struggle before and to benefit from their experiments. You tell the stories of these great artists. It's so beautiful for me to be here in your physical presence as we're having these conversations because I get to stare at you this whole time and I'm getting this whole extra layer of body language that your face is expressing while you're thinking about these things and, and sharing them. And your face just lights up when you start talking about some of these stories. 
as if you were speaking of an old friend, as if you were speaking of your brother or your mother. And it's like these people and their stories have become a part of you and they've become a part of how you see. Oh yeah, that, my whole life has been set by these stories that I take him in. They expand into a desire <laughs> for me. Back to Rembrandt again, one of the stories that got me into painting was when Rembrandt was a child, his father wanted him to become a, a doctor, a medical doctor. So he had to go to the academy and study and all of that. But Rembrandt was not interested. So he was escaping from the academy and he was hiding from his father to go on paint. And one afternoon, he went behind his father's windmill and he was painting the sunset behind that windmill. And as he was painting, his father found him and came and saw him sitting in there with black paint and red paint that he was doing sunset. And he got so mad and he threw his bottle paints and threw them away and left. And Rembrandt got his own blood and painted the sunset with his own blood. A child came into that movement that is a desire to its ultimate level where your passion is completely gone, defeated in it completely. At this point, all you care is to do that sunset painting that you were doing, even though it hurts your physical body. Well, you know, going back to, to Jesus, he says, greater love has no man than that he's willing to lay down his life for his friend. You're talking about creating these works for other people and how that that's an expansive use of that time and energy and how when you're willing to lay down your life, quote unquote, it's almost like when you're willing to give up some of those passions for the sake of creating these eternal works. If you're willing to give up some of your addictions and in space of that, create instead of become addicted honor the desire rather than honor the passion. Jesus says that's the greatest kind of love you can even have here on earth, which is really interesting because you look at somebody like Rembrandt. I mean, we could also easily chime in and just say, if you're listening to this, please don't use your blood, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the metaphor of it is very, very powerful. It, the metaphor is powerful. And you could say, how many people has Rembrandt touched? in the millions, possibly the hundreds of millions, how many people will he touch before the end of all of this? Untold. Yeah. Greater love has no person than that. And so that is something that has been interesting to me for a really long time, is this ability and this action and these choices that some people make that have these eternal significance, this generous hour like I was talking about before, and that there is the capability in every single human to give that kind of generosity. There is. And I think to me that has to be one of the most beautiful, profound, holy, sacred aspects of a human. And yet clearly it is something that is not easy. It does not come commonly to us and requires extraordinary effort, extraordinary sacrifices sometimes. And uh, it requires exploration on the path less traveled, 
like Robert Frost talked about. The great mystic Bastami says, for 30 years I was looking for God until I found that it was God who was looking for me. And I think that says it all. Passion was those looking for God. And the desire is when God is looking for me. See, when God is looking for you, you expand everywhere that you can in order to be in the eye of God that is everywhere. But when you're looking for God, you're looking for God in little places see where you can find God. Unless you are in deep pain of longing, you cannot be healed. So the true remedy for pain of life is longing. More you long for something, the greater you become. Because you would look for possibilities to get things expand. And as an artist, you got to increase your longing, not your satisfaction. So next time you listen to Mick Jagger singing, I get no satisfaction, you know that's an artist talking to you. The Wisdom of Madness is produced by Rasuli, Jesh Durox, and Elizabeth Joy Wyndham. Our theme music is by Niklas Poshberg. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Also, if you know someone who would appreciate this podcast, we encourage you to share it, screenshot it, and airdrop it to your friends, family, and community. Music